Crimson Tower Studios. Welcome to the Old World Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and the original podcast to bring you both discussion and actual play in 4th edition. I'm one of your hosts, Lance, and I'm joined today by my delectable duo in evilness, Matt. How you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Me too. It should be a fun topic today. We've got a lot to go over. Yeah, we 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 missed our last episode. There was some unfortunateness with the file. Didn't quite come out right. But that's behind us. But that means that we have news out the wazoo. Plenty so, to talk about. So much news. And uh, Steve isn't with us today. Uh, he had some stuff going on, but we're going to push through anyway. Now, before we get on to the bulk of the show, we're going to take a minute to talk about our amazing, outstanding, incredible Patreon backers. Their generous donations are helping make this show possible. Yes, thank you so much. So uh, we have several people we want, uh, we want to say thank you to. First up is Wolf Shield Games. Thank you, Wolf Shield. Wolf Shield Games, you rock. Thank you for being a backer of us. Also, that's a cool name. I it like is. that. It he's, is. he's actually got a YouTube channel that he sent us a link for. I checked it oh. out. Um, I haven't been able to listen to much of it, but it's uh, The One Ring, I think, that they're playing. Or it's AIM. I can't remember. It was one of the Lord of the Rings uh, versions, but very cool. Yeah, check them out. Also want to give a big shout out to Ryan Hortberg. Ryan, thanks a lot, man. Thank you, Ryan. You're awesome. We also have Nolan LaRock. I think I said that right. Or it might be something way more cool like LaRocque. 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 That probably is the right way to say it. However you say your name, Nolan, thank you so much. Seriously, thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Nolan. Next up... Uh, and I'm sure, Lance, you're probably glad I'm taking this name because oh, yeah. you're, you're not huge on uh, pronunciation. Show notes were very <laughs> intentional here, buddy. I'm going to give a huge shout out to Avon Solberg. Avon, thank you so much. Avon, I hope that's how you say your name because I would have said it way different. <laughs> I, I did some research. I think I got it. Awesome. Thank you, Avon. Uh, that brings us to Simon Williams. Simon, you're awesome. Thank you, sir. Yes, Simon, thanks a lot. And lastly, for this episode, huge thank you goes out to Jacob Winnett. Jacob, thank you for your support. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to join these fine individuals listed above and buy us a beer or coffee or tea, be sure to hop on over to our Patreon page and support us. For only a couple dollars a month, you can help us continue to bring you discussion and actual play in the grim and gritty world of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Check us out at patreon.com slash oldworldpodcast. Awesome. Awesome. So what kind of gaming have you been up to lately, Matt? Um, quite a bit. There was um, a couple of real big standouts, one of which is an obelisk of boxes that is right behind you right now, and that is Batman Gotham City Chronicles. Nice. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of our listeners also got this. I think there was like 20,000 some people worldwide that backed it, but it is a massive astonishingly massive miniatures game that is one uh, V all. So one player is playing the villains and the rest of the players at the table are taking the roles of the various superheroes and, and the miniatures within the yeah, Batman world. The miniatures are, yeah, they, I, there's a, a T-Rex in there that I'm yep. super stoked about. And then you haven't uh, seen it. You, no, I, mean, I haven't, I, but yeah. I saw the pictures. You showed me the pictures and then I saw there's like seven or 
13 different versions of Batman or something. Oh, there's tons. Yeah, so very, I, I can't wait. That's, yep. uh, it looks really cool. One one of the reasons I bought that is because I, I do enjoy painting. So mm-hmm. now that I have it in hand, I've got to bust out the paints. Man, that's going to be awesome. I can't wait to see that. Another game I want to mention real quick. Um, there's a, a really hot mechanism in board games right now is roll and write. Roll and write games mm-hmm. where everybody has a sheet of paper, a little pencil, you roll dice based on the dice that roll. You check something off on your sheet. There's there's tons of these games that are coming out. They're really fun. They're really accessible. Generally very quick. One that stands out that I've played recently that I would say without any question or hesitation is my favorite roll and write game is Fleet Dice. Hmm. So Fleet is a game, is a card game that's been out for a long time. It was designed by Matt Riddle and Ben Pinchback, two guys that are awesome. I communicate with them a lot on Twitter and things. And Fleet Dice is probably one of the heaviest roll and write games that I've played. And it's simple. All you're doing, you're, you're rolling a set of dice. Each player gets to take several of those from what gets rolled. And you're just checking off on your sheet that you're, you're gathering fish. You are unlocking new boats. You're getting licenses for fishing. The neat thing is even though you only have a few dice that you're taking throughout the entire game, as you're checking off these different things, you're earning coins and every few coins you get, you check off a little box and you could take a bonus action. Well, that bonus action could lead to another three coins that gets checked off that leads to another bonus action. So even though you're only taking a few little things, you're constantly getting all these extra actions you can do. Hmm. Your whole goal is to, to collect as many fish as you possibly can. There's a lot of other ways you can score points, but it is phenomenal. It is so good. It was on Kickstarter last year. I didn't back it, but luckily I, I have some people in my game group that did. So it's definitely a good one. Awesome. What about you, man? What have you been playing? Uh, man, I've uh, I've been doing a lot. Of, I do a lot of session prep. I count that as playing, but <laughs> not so much. It feels like playing. It does sometimes. It's really fun and enjoyable. But uh, the actual gaming-wise, I actually haven't gotten a ton. I've played some uh, Deep Sea Adventure, um, which is a little bitty press-your-luck game. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's I, there's a lot of game in that tiny little box. Yeah, it is. It's really cool. And there's a lot of different strategy that can go into it too, it, and all depending on what other people do. And yeah, so it's uh it's very cool. But um probably the biggest one that I've been playing is they finally released Stardew Valley on the Android. Ah. And man, I there's just something about that game. Like I just watering my crops and all that. I mean, it seems it's such a opposite of what i normally go right. for like man it's i'm like, not it's killing peaceful, though yeah it's like it's kind of like and... harvest moon those games yeah. where you're just like you're just tending to your farm yeah it's it's awesome i've put way too many hours into that game yeah. but uh yeah that's honestly that's probably about it for me um, yeah in the in the video game world i have been replaying the entire borderlands series nice which is a first person shooter rpg and it is just as my favorite universe to play in it would make for an incredible role-playing game. Right. Or a sweet, like, miniatures game or a war game or anything. Right. But there's a new one coming out. Borderlands 3 comes out later this year, so I'm just getting back in the flow. But those games are just phenomenal. Awesome. There's, like, humor. The art style is really cool. So if any of our listeners are play uh, Borderlands on the Xbox One, DM me your uh, username. We can play together. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well... We have the next section, announcement and news. And whoa, doggy. I, we, sometimes we'll go 
like a long time in between shows and have hardly anything new to talk about when it comes to like Warhammer and fourth edition. That is not the case this time. That is correct. That is not the case this time. They are, they are pumping out multiple blog posts each week with great information. So let's talk about that. Let's, well, we kind of, and there's so much to go through here. We've, we haven't broken this down chronologically. We usually do that sort of. We've broken it down into like sections that make sense. So I think first up was the Team Tuesday, right? Yes. So before we even get started with that, I'm going to say to all of our listeners, if you don't already follow us on Twitter and follow Cubicle 7 on Twitter, you should. I've found that to be one of the best ways to keep up on all this news. Um, anytime that Cubicle 7 releases a new post, we will definitely retweet it. So follow us on Twitter and you can keep up with this too. So the Team Tuesday articles are articles that talk about and introduce us to different people who are involved in Warhammer. With so Cubicle writer, 7 with, specifically. With, yeah, Cubicle yeah. 7. Yep. Um, so writers, artists, things like that. The They did one about Graham Davis, the great Graham Davis, of course. Legend. Yep, which was really fascinating. We got a chance to meet Graham, talked to him a bunch at, at Gen Con last year. Yep. Totally awesome dude. Yeah, I, I got to connect with him and see if he's going to be at Gen Con this year. Yeah. Hopefully. So. so Graham has, we all know that he was the original WFRP writer. He's worked on every edition of the game. Uh, right now, his huge project is the Enemy Within Director's Cut, which we're going to be able to talk a little bit more about that in, in uh, a little bit too. Another t- Team Tuesday article was about Sam Manley. He's an artist and illustrator for Cubicle 7. His Twitter is awesome. His Twitter is at oh, yeah. Sam Manley Artist, and it's M-A-N-L-E-Y. Lots of examples of his work. He posts a lot on there. The wizard art from the core rulebook, several other great pieces that are in there and in the starter set. And and in Rough Nights and Hard Days, he has quite a few. He's been posting out some of those, some really good ones in there. Yeah. We have said basically from the – it might have been the first comment we made about 4th edition was that the art is just – Stunning. Mm, it is. And that is also another artist that they talked about in the Team Tuesday article is J.G. O'Donohue. So he's a staff artist for Cubicle 7. He has done some just amazing panoramas. Yeah. And getting, getting that perspective and seeing these super wide pieces of art it, it is great. And he's he's done a lot of those. He did the uh, Rough Nights and Hard Days, and they posted this out there, too, on one of their articles. But the piece with the waterfall in the city, I believe it's Kemperbad. Uh, oh, man. I just, man, I, I am just thinking of all the different checks I'm going to make my players make by looking yeah. at that artwork. It's, right. It's so cool. Yeah, we've mentioned that, too, that a piece of art mm-hmm. can inspire an entire campaign or well, at least an entire session. We're going to talk about that a little bit today once yes. we get to our main show topic. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So, Lance, what other blog posts have there been? Oh, my goodness. So, we have the normal blog post, uh, the reoccurring series w- by Ben Scary. And one of these days, I bet you Ben's going to be like, guys, you're saying our last name wrong. But Yeah. Well, if we are, let us know. Yeah. Because even in the next few minutes, you're going to hear the name Ben Scary a lot. A lot. He's, he's a lot. We need to have posts. him on the show, too. He's... He 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 has been one of the main uh, writers. He's been on most of. If you don't already know, he had a Team Tuesday article like way back. He was like one of their first ones, and uh, he has basically contributed to since he joined the Cubicle Seven team to like every Warhammer 
piece that's come out since then, um, including like he has additional writing on almost all of them. I'd have yeah. to go double check everything one for sure, but he's he's been involved in all of it, and he obviously knows his rules well because he starts off with uh, astounding. One of his articles was astounding success. And this is talking about success levels in fourth edition. So one of the things I think essentially what Cubo 7 is doing with these articles is instead of, and we've mentioned this before, instead of doing like an FAQ, they're taking the big pieces that people have questions about or concerns about or whatever, and then they're doing blog articles. Yes. And it's a great way to do this because I almost would recommend if you're a GM and you're going to, especially if you're going to campaign a long-term game, just go print these articles out yeah. and have like a little booklet of, you know, that you can reference, you know, oh man, I have questions about shields. Well, hey, there's a whole yep. article on that. And it's a lot of times an FAQ is just a sentence that, that you know, helps clarify things. These mm-hmm. blog posts are incredibly entertaining. Yes. He Funny. puts a lot of humor yeah. in there yep. and examples. So even if, I mean, sometimes when you get down to some of the, the really nitty gritty on these, the rules, it can be h- kind of hard to follow. So there's examples in there. He's always puts in uh, these little like back and forth uh, little uh, like scenes between two different people, and those are always really funny. Right. The the main character is from the starter set. Yeah, like, it's 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 really cool. Yeah, you get the, and- yeah, it's it's so so good. So. Um, so anyway, in this article, he talks about, among other things, success levels, uh, how to look at them, dramatic versus opposed tests, uh, success levels in combat, uh, basically talking about how to read and handle success levels in the game. The next blog post, blog post number three, he did uh, setting expectations, and he gives us GM advice on how to help build stories using the chaos gods. I think this is so cool. And and it's a great way because when you think about a lot of the themes that Warhammer as a grim, dark setting has, uh, tying those to the chaos gods and giving the different thoughts and ideas is, is great. There's four main chaos gods, obviously, and he talks about each one and how you can have essentially sliders. I like how he did this. Yeah, yep. So it's just, uh, you know, you might, if you're going to be more nurgly in this adventure, you know, but you might have a second chaos god that's kind of also involved, like a lot of bloodlust, maybe you have a little bit of corn in there. Yeah. You know, he talks about how to balance it all and how to drive home themes. It's a great article. Yeah, and how every session that you do or every, you know, campaign, you can you can pick one of those gods and have that be the overarching theme. Have that be the the kind of the focus and the feel for that session. Right. Really interesting stuff. Very cool. So on the Old World podcast uh, actual play, what theme do you think? Zinch is uh, definitely absolutely yeah yeah. <laughs> that name's been dropped several times, and just overall, like yeah, <laughs> it's good stuff. Uh. All right, so the next post, blog post number four, is titled, It's Not Easy Being Elven. Oh, yeah. This was a great article. If you play an elf, this is a must-read. Yeah, this it is, is a must-read if you play an elf. If I'm your GM and you're playing an elf, it's mandatory reading. Yep, this would be, I would, mm-hmm. I would hand this to my player. Yep. Uh, even, I mean, if you're a GM, you should read it. Even if you have a, an elf in your party, you should probably read it. Yes. Because there's a lot of good information in here. So... One of the criticisms, I guess, of the elves when the first thing came out was that they seem to be way overpowered. But he addresses that by talking about how the elves are balanced because they have very low fate and resistance, and which which we, we kind of could see. We knew that that was part of it. But the other thing is that elves are discriminated against in the old world. Like, it's not easy being an elf because 
a lot of people don't like elves. There's prejudice against right. them, and that can be reflected in play too. Right, and then they even talk about elves among elves and the difficulties you can have when you have essentially a family that pretty much doesn't die from natural causes. Yeah. So it's he even references like imagine a family reunion, right? With, like hundreds or more of these elves. It's it's a good read. Yeah, good read. it really is. One of the ones that I. The next post is one that I really, really enjoyed. And this mm-hmm. one is called A Creature for Every Occasion. Essentially, Ben takes a look at different ways you can modify the creature stats that we already have. So that one of the examples he makes is that you can take an orc that has all these specific stats and abilities and use that for a completely different uh, character or a completely different enemy. Could be a yeti or something else that kind of fits that same profile. Right. So he goes over four different ways that you can skin a monster or skin being create your own. Right. The first one is just by a paintbrush, which essentially is like you you take something that's already there, put a new coat of paint on it and it becomes and not just an orc but a but a uh, different creature altogether but it has all the same stats. Right. Which really makes a lot of sense. The other ways, one of them is menu, one of them is template. Uh, and I won't go into super depth on these, but they are different ways that you can make, you can take, you know, the stats that are already there and make something new out of it. It's a great article for a GM. I, I will say this one of, I didn't have a whole lot of, uh, critiques of fourth edition when I first went through it. There, there's uh, you know, no system is perfect, but one of the things I wanted a little bit more from was the, in one sense, I loved, like, I love the fact that every piece every entry in the beastery or beastery has a piece of artwork we talked about that multiple times but one of the things i struggle with is like utilizing this well like utilizing it for my games and uh i still have some concerns or stuff about different things but overall ben actually really helped me get a handle on how i could best use this so i know uh fourth edition didn't have as much you know, GM chapters and things like that on this. And this article really helps fill some of those gaps, especially. So if you're struggling with how do I make encounters? What do, what do I, if I want to do this or that? Like, and you're not sure how to use that section in the back of the book, check out this article. Absolutely. It's, it's a good one. So the next article that Ben did, I, Hey Ben, he's man, I hope you're getting paid by the word, buddy. Um, so, uh, he did little, but not overlooked. This was an awesome article about halflings and the size rules. Now size rules are one it's in probably in my opinion, the most complicated rule set in the book. Once you have a handle on it, it's not so bad, but you often have the size is one of those rules where you look at this rule and it references a different rule, which references a different rule. Sure. So you kind of jump around in the book a little bit. But once you have the some of those more complicated concepts, it essentially makes all of the other concerns that you might have had about the system completely make sense. So how the heck can we fight a dragon? Well, the size rules are exactly what is going to kill you and explains why you should dodge instead of trying to block yeah. with your sword. Things like that. Yep. It's a I, great article. Everything I said about the Elven article, I could, you could say about this one. If you play a halfling, if mm-hmm. you're a GM with a halfling, this is great. It gives you a lot of ideas on how to manage that and right. how, to, you know, how to survive in a world where you are half the size of... Right, and basically and, everybody else, or or gnomes. Gnomes are or size gnomes. small too. That's true. Yep. So, so that's something to take a look at. Yep. I'm. I can say with 
some confidence that we'll probably see an article about gnomes before that, you know, too long. Yeah. So the next, uh, the next two articles he did was the rule book is a treasure chest. It was a part one and two. So essentially Ben talks about all of the optional rules, including character options, psychology, all these different things and how you might use them or why you want to look at them as, as how they can make your game better and why you might want to choose to use some and not use others. He does a lot of information about um, not just the rules themselves, but how you could use those rules in play and how they can change your play. And it's very interesting. And he even talks about using this optional rule in this situation makes a lot of sense, but maybe not in this situation. Right. So the second, the second part, the part two, he talks about additional special rules, but my favorite part in that, and I know this is your favorite part too, Matt, is he talks about the in-between sessions chapter, which, which, you know, when we had our Gen Con episode and gave our first impressions of the the PDF when it came out, that, that was, was yep our favorite part of the book right that there. That was a standout. And I, I wrote just in my little quick notes as I was burning through it, in-between chapter underlined exclamation point. Love it. Yeah, it is. It is so good. And to this day, it is still my favorite section. It really is. Uh, it was a great addition. So, who man, that was a lot of articles. Those are just articles yeah, that not, they've put we're out. Not done. Man. We're not done. <laughs> so we are starting to get some information coming in about the Enemy Within Director's Cut. Oh, Again, we yeah. mentioned this earlier. Graham Davis is working on this. And so this is a, a re-implementation re or reimagining of the, the Enemy Within, which is you know, highly regarded as one of the best overall campaigns that's ever been written. Right. Written in the way it was meant to be written. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. See, that's one of, he, Graham, when we talked to him at Gen Con last year, he, he was just going on about this and how excited he was and how, Mm -hmm. and and one of the things too, is even if you are familiar with it and you ran it before, there's a lot of new stuff that's in there. Mm -hmm. So the first two adventures are it's the first book is the enemy in shadows, which is going to be the first of five books that are related to the enemy within. So the first two adventures are mistaken identity and shadows over Bogenhofen. Awesome. Yep. So there's uh, going to be grognard boxes, which essentially is a new way to uh, play the adventures when running with uh, people who have played the enemy within already. Right. This is, this is, they've talked about this a lot in different articles and in the video that, Graham did at Gen Con last year as well that, hey, you can pick up this book and play it even if you know intimately the enemy within. And if you try to play it that way, your GM is going to have a whole toolbox of options to punish you for. Right. So it's uh, it's really cool. I can't actually wait to see like what those boxes say like the, the and how they, and, yeah, how they, yeah. how they change the story. It's going to be cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very excited. In addition, there's going to be a complete guide to Bogenhofen, which yeah. is a fan favorite location. Yeah. And I, a little tidbit here, I asked Andy law on, on Twitter, like, Hey, are we going to see maps of Bogenhofen just like Uber's Reich? And we didn't get a direct answer. Like he gave one of those. Well, I can neither confirm or deny. I don't remember right. his exact Cla- word, but like, yeah, I, I'm hopeful, uh, but it, it's it sounds like we're going to have a lot of information in that book on Bogenhofen, which makes me happy. More setting information is never a bad thing. Oh, for sure. So, h- having said all that, there's not just one book, 
but two books. It's the enemy, or excuse me, the enemy in shadows companion book will be released with the enemy in shadows, and this is the first of five the enemy within companion books. So not only are we getting five full books for the enemy within with adventures through the whole way. We're also getting five companion books with a bunch of additional information, additional setting, additional rules. I am so excited about this. Yeah. By the end of this, we're going to need a whole bookshelf that is just fourth edition content. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm not upset by that at all. No, not at all. So there is a ton of stuff in here that they've they've talked about. So we're just going to real quick go through some of these, but there's going to be guest commentaries by Phil Gallagher and Graham Davis. So they're two of the original Enemy Within writers. That should be interesting. Um, there's going to be a deep examination of the Empire. So it sounds like we're going to get a lot more setting information for the Empire itself. Yeah. And then it looks like six new pre-gen characters with optional secrets and relationships. And I know I'm looking at Matt right oh, now. Our yeah. favorite part of those pre-gens was those like optional secrets. Yep. So somebody listened. It was because of us. It had to have been. Yeah, right. We'll take credit. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So I'm super excited to see those. Then there's also road travel. This is huge. Think about how many times in our actual plays we've we've traveled the road. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's been interesting. You've you've done great job throwing in little events and things, but th- this information, the actual rules on road travel, I cannot wait for. I can't cuz it, it it's going to be great. I'm excited. And I know I've told you this before, you know, off mic, but what they did with the one ring and how they handled travel rules yeah. there. So I'm excited to see what they do. I mean, even if it's just a few extra tables or something, it's going to be good. Yeah. So uh, next up on this was supporting cast. So they said they're going to have a huge cast of incidental NPCs to be added to any adventure and tips on how to use them. So it's like a pseudo B-series, I guess, yeah. for, for NPCs. I'm down. And bonus content. So on top of everything we just said, Matt, we're going to get a collection of short adventures and encounters, including revised and updated versions of classics such as On the Road, the Affair of the Hidden Jewel, and Pandemonium Carnival. So, hey, not only do I get all this stuff, but I also get a few adventures to run. Dang. I, it's so it's so great to see, to, to have the anticipation now of a literal cascade of, of content. Ugh. That not, well, and not only are we getting source books, adventure books, starters, all the stuff that's coming out, there's still just filling us with free PDFs as well. Yeah. Which leads me to our next one, which was the PDF release of the buildings of the Reichland. This wasn't, uh, it's not a huge supplement. I want to say it's like 12 or 16 pages, something like that. So if you pre-ordered the core book, it is free and available. Now you can get it um, from drive through RPG. So this book contains several buildings, including farms, shops, inns, taverns, and more. In addition, there are 11 maps of various buildings, different sizes, different. Some of them have multiple stories, multiple levels. They're all in there. And they're so, so characterful, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just like you you would expect Mm -hmm. in the old world. On top of all that, there are story hooks. There's full descriptions. Even being able, like, it might not be that important of a building, to your players, but being able to describe a building in such depth mm-hmm. and have and know some of the history of that building can really add a lot to your to your games. Right, and they have a whole section in there too about how to like you know 
pluck these buildings into different settings and different <clears throat> things like that to make it work. It's really cool. Yep. And then if you didn't pre-order and you're like, oh, I can't get my hand on this. Well, next month they should have this available for purchase and, and okay. drive through. Great. So so don't fret. It's it's if you didn't get it on the pre-order, you can still get access to this uh, PDF. It's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. So. Man, and if that wasn't enough, Cubicle 7 said, happy 10-year anniversary. So, Cubicle 7, happy 10-year anniversary, guys. Absolutely. You are celebrating it in style. That's right. And they did 10 days of events, including discounts, articles, releases, and a new website. So, man, we've been saying, go check out Cubicle 7 on cubicle7.uk.com. C-O. C-O.uk. C-O.C. I can't even say it. it's It's too much. But now it's cubicle7games.com. Great. Straightforward. Yep. The seven is a the actual numerical seven. Yep. But yeah, so they even had a f- giveaway for the collector's edition, which is by the time you get here this episode, it'll be too late to get in on that. But they're giving away a collector's edition of Warhammer. Is it? I believe it's signed too, isn't it? It's signed, yeah, signed yeah. by Dominic McDowell and Andy Law. Yeah. So whoever wins that, congratulations. Yeah. Right. Oh man, that would be so cool. It would. Anyway, yeah. So there's a the articles and stuff will still be out there. The discounts, to my knowledge, by the time our episode goes out here, they'll probably all be done. But if they're not, it's possible. Go check out check drive through. They yeah. might still have some. Check out their new web store. Who knows how long they're going to run that? I think they put a deadline on it, but sometimes these things get pushed out a little yeah. bit. So worth taking a look for sure. Right. All right. That brings us to our <laughs> next topic. Still not done with news, listeners. Still not done with news. It's a little book. I don't think many people are going to be really interested in it. It's called Rough Nights and Hard Days. Do I mean lies? Oh, lies. It's amazing. It is amazing. Yes, I. I fooled all of you. <laughs> no, Rough Nights and Hard Days, the PDF finally came out, and it is what exactly what we come to expect. It is a campaign book. It has tons of different um, adventures in it, sessions that you can run as one-offs. You can run them all together. You can also have this be essentially like a prequel to The Enemy Within. Right. Which is amazing. Right. This It's designed to fit in with the starter set and The Enemy Within, should you want to do that. Right. And I know that some of our listeners are fans of the gnomish race. And the good news is we have rules for gnomes now. Gnomes. Very excited. I will be playing a gnome at some point in the future, hopefully near future. So there's rules for gnomes that are in here. The same kind of content that we got for all the other species, all the other races. There's information about how they feel about other people, how other other races feel about them. Interesting information about their gods and who they worship, how they worship, the different right. scriptures that you have that you yeah the strict the strictures to, yeah, yeah they even had yeah that was it was a nice touch and it's all like I man I sat there I'm like oh they only had what like four pages or maybe even three but I was like man they're gonna fit all that in they did it's it's beautiful it's everything you need to get started there and an interesting background story too explaining like it makes total sense why you know, gnomes aren't something that you see like in the normal lore and stuff. They, they did a good job with, yep. with writing that. Yep. Five pages and they, you've five, got, five you've got pages. everything yeah. you need in there to, to get started. It's great. <clears throat> and then in, in addition, there's a really fun section in the back of this book that mm-hmm. talks about the various pub games that you would see throughout 
the empire and throughout the old world. 15 different. When they announced this before, I think you and I talked about this. We, I was expecting, oh, four or five different pub games or something. No, 15. Yep. With with rules on how to play, where you would see it being played, if it's common, if it's not. This is so much fun. Be, and again, I'm thinking about our actual plays and how many times we end up in an inn or tavern or a pub. Right. And now when you walk into a pub, you've got to, you can just say, oh, there's a group in the corner. They're playing stones. Yeah. And, and your players could decide to go over, sit down, and play it with them. Why right? not? Yeah. It's not? really it's really exciting. Have them lose their money legitimately. Yeah. Yeah, or or yeah, lose their money and or then try decide, to cheat and decide to yeah. break out uh, a good old style tavern brawl. Very good stuff. So good. There's one of the things they added in there that was maybe my favorite was they had a sidebar on cards of the empire, and they explained like different suits and how they work and stuff. Yeah, and I just somebody said this on Twitter, but I was thinking it the second I saw it. It's we need Cubicle Seven. It please, if you make actual like a deck of cards that yes. is built. I will buy several copies. For sure. So an actual deck of I, world cards. Gosh, I would buy I would just buy some to have. Like yeah. and then I'd buy some for my game and oh it'd be yep. so good. Yep. And a two incorporating that into your your actual adventure right. in your campaign. Right. You don't even need to tell your players that you actually have these cards, but then they're like, oh well, you know, let's sit down and we'll play. Then you kind of yeah. clear out some space, you pull out the deck of cards, and you actually play. Right. There could be a lot. It depends on your group and everything, but yeah. that kind of stuff would be so cool. So th- to be clear, we're not saying that we've heard anything about that. It's True. just something that we think would be awesome. Correct. So, And we can confirm that the Rough Nights and Hard Days book is very nice. Yes. Plenty of art. Every oh. NPC, there's a huge section on and there's NPCs. Maps. And there's there's maps. They there's have- art pieces for Every just about every NPC. That's There's in the a whole castle book. in there that I just love, and the storylines, how they intertwine, and how they're so like crazy and warhammery. Like, oh man, I can't wait to. Oh, it's me. And we've said all of this. We're going to do a full review of this on an upcoming episode. That's true. So yeah. uh, we'll get more in depth on this. Absolutely. And uh, we're like. W- I told you there's a lot of news. There's a lot of news. We're getting close to the end of the news, so right. hang in there. So so just a few final bits. Um, there were several Age of Sigmar updates, including articles on Doom Seekers and Brand Switches, which Age of Sigmar, the more I hear about it, the more it seems like a really cool game system. I'm excited to see that come out. But there are articles on Cubicle 7's website for that. So you can find all this, most of this information, everything we've talked about, all this is going to be on Cubicle 7's new website, cubicle7games.com. So be sure to check that out. Like I said earlier, too, don't forget to subscribe to us on Twitter, Cubicle 7 on Twitter, so that you can also keep up on all this information. Absolutely. All right. The next thing we're going to do is, uh, this is the first time we've done this, we got a, a letter from one of our listeners. So we often get emails and messages thanking us for what we do, which we genuinely appreciate. Yes, really thank do. you so much. However, we recently received a letter from uh, one of our listeners that was particularly encouraging, and I'm going to read it now. Sure. Hi, Lance, Steve, and Matt. I'm Simon. I'm from the UK. I just wanted to drop you a message to say thanks for running such a great podcast. I've played and GM'd Woofrup First Edition back in the late 80s and early 90s, then stopped playing as I lost my group when I went to university. I'm now in my 40s, and last year came across my old first edition stuff in the attic, and it rekindled my interest. Then, having stumbled across your podcast, it really inspired me to play again. I advertised on Meetup and now have a new group of six players, all in in a similar situation to me. 
We're playing second edition at the moment, but we'll soon be moving to fourth edition. Anyways, I look forward to the new Old World podcast episodes, be they actual plays or reviews. I love the passion you guys have for the game, and it's great to pick up hints and tips for GMing my games after a 25-year hiatus. So thank you, and please keep up the great work. Well, thank you for sending that to us, Simon. I can say that this letter meant a lot to me personally, because a personal goal that I had when we started this show was to impact gamers in a positive way when it came to Wolf Rope. So I can't think of a better compliment than we started playing Wolf Rope again because of your show. So again, thanks again, Simon. I know you sent me a follow-up email that said you started with your uh, fourth edition, and I can't wait to hear more about it. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for sending that to us. It It did mean a lot for sure. All right. So let's finally get to the main topic, the meat of our show today. With all of that news, it is awesome to talk about lore. That's what we're talking about today. Leveraging the Warhammer lore. Leveraging the Warhammer war. That's right. So we are going to go over some thoughts and ideas on how you can use the rich and vibrant lore in Warhammer and use it to make your games better. So while these tactics that we're going to talk about are no means specific to Wolfrup, they are perfect for an IP that is so rich and fleshed out. And Warhammer really is. It is. There You're is, talking, you know, 30 years of worlds that are being being uh, built and added upon and... And even destroyed. And, and destroyed, all <laughs> of it. Yeah. It's so good. So in addition to talking about how to leverage lore in Warhammer, we're also going to talk about where you can find that lore. And then we're going to give you lots of examples on how you might use those sources in, to your advantage as both a GM and a player. So, Old Worlders, open up your dusty tomes, pour over those beautiful maps, and make sure you buy the read-write talent. Because we're diving deep into how leveraging lore is going to help you in tonight's show of the Old World Podcast. All right, let's get started. The first thing we're going to talk about is leveraging lore as a GM. So there's there's definitely two sides of this. Yes. I leveraging lore as a GM and as a player. First thing we're going to talk about is understanding the world. So in this case, knowledge is power. Knowing the relationships, the peoples, the wars, and the history makes it a lot easier when your players surprise you, which I've come up with that when I've GM'd Star Wars before. Right. Your players are going to throw a twist at you and understanding how the world works and the the people or the society that you're within, how they're going to react to different events is going to make it a lot easier to roll with the punches, right. essentially. Now, this this is huge, too. So I, in all of this, by the way, we're not saying we're not trying to discourage anyone that doesn't know Warhammer very well. Get the game on the on the table and play. Yeah, for and sure. If you're having fun, it doesn't matter if you if you don't know the specifics right. of a certain city or that there's a, a ruler there that has a certain, you know, way about doing things. Right. But like the point, the point we're trying to make here. So if you're running, you know, night at the three feathers, because you picked up rough nights and hard days and your players say, wow, this play, this, this inn is too crazy. We're out. We're going down the river in the opposite direction of where your story is going. Well, if you know the lore and the, the area and everything about like the Reichland and all that, it is going to be way easier for you as a GM to adapt to that than if you don't. And I'm not saying a good GM that knows nothing about the system wouldn't be able to adapt. Sure. But it's going to make your life a heck of a lot easier actually yep. knowing the lore and what's going on in that. Deeper than what the, the actual adventure tells you. For sure. It also, in a lot of ways, can mean less session prep. Yes. If you, if you just know this information because you've read it in novels or in source books or the rule book. 
then you're not going to have to read, th- read through that prior to your session. Right. Or worse yet, interrupt your session to read that. Right. That, and that's, man, and you should really try not to be digging through lore in the middle of the session unless that's you true. absolutely have to. But, uh, I could think of situations where you'd want to, though. Yeah. And, and you know, just, just having, knowing that, of, you know, is going to make it a lot easier. Right. And, and it's actually, this is almost a catch-22 when you think about it, right? Because we're essentially saying, hey, use the lore that you spent all this time to learn to avoid having to go learn the lore. Yeah, pretty much. But, but the reality is, is the longer you play a game system, the more you know. So like you said Star Wars earlier. So yeah. I equate this. Most people know Star Wars. And if you're a huge Star Wars fan, then I would be 100% honest with you. If you're trying to decide, well, what game, what I'm going to GM a game system I'm almost always going to tell you, GM what you know. Absolutely. Right? So so now I wouldn't push you towards a game system that I thought was bad. But like, for example, we said Star Wars, right? So Fantasy Flight Star Wars, we said this multiple times. We're both big fans of that system. Yeah. Right? So if you come to me and say, I'm ready to GM my first game, and I love Star Wars, and this Warhammer thing looks really amazing, what should I do? I'm probably going to push you towards Star Wars because you know it. Yes. And... You know, not to say that, hey, Warhammer is an amazing system. I definitely think you should do that. But especially someone that's like a first-time GM or something, or you don't have the get time. Get comfortable with it. Yeah, yeah, get comfortable before you go. Or if you have the time to go learn the lore, like, man, I'm. there's nothing wrong with learning Warhammer War. It is entertaining and fun. Yeah. So. Yeah. Sorry, I went so on de- a... Definitely. No, you're absolutely <laughs> right. Go with what you know. And luckily, there's a lot of different systems out there. If you're a, if you're a Lord of the Rings fanatic, right. pick up the One Ring. Absolutely. If you... Or the or the the adventures in Middle Earth. If you yeah. already know Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition, right, and you love you know Lord of the Rings, boom, there's an option that makes a lot of sense. Yep, yep, it's going to make everything easier. If you're a Trekkie, go with Trekkie. Prime example, my a lot of my buddies and I, we are huge Game of Thrones fans. And right. Of course, the new the final season's airing right now. I picked up the core book and some source books for the Song of Ice and Fire role playing game, and. Just just doing the the basic browsing through that book, I understood so much of it. Right. Because I know that world. I, I live it. I love it. Where I, and see, I'm a person that has not got, I'm like the, I'm in the 1% of the world that hasn't right. got into Game of Thrones. So I looked at that book and I'm like, it's beautiful. It's great. And I guarantee in the, the 10 seconds I flipped through it, I got way less out of it than right. you did. You pointed out a piece of art. You're like, oh, this looks cool. And I was like, oh, well, that's, that's Sansa Stark and her dire wolf. Right. Just, I mean, you know. You knew that. So, I had no idea. I just thought it yep. looked cool. So it's it's good point. Yep. Yep. Tying this back into what we're saying, another thing that you can, that will help you by knowing the lore is developing better NPCs. Absolutely. That's going to be knowing the, the religions of an area or the dialect or, you know, if there's a certain uh, like way that they treat different uh, races all of that information can help you develop an NPC that's going to be more memorable for your characters. Absolutely. Players. I, I like how you said the religion, because that's a great example, right? So if I know if I know my my players are going to meet up with a priest of, you know, Ulrich or a priest of Moore or a priest of Sigmar, I know enough about those lores, like off the top of my head, I know what they're going to act, what they're going to care about, that sort of thing, or what might be different, right? They're a priest of more. Why are they not caring about this dead body situation going on here? Yeah. Right. So, you know, those types of things, because I have that knowledge of lore is going to help me develop how that NPC should act, or maybe is going to act against how they should act. Right. 
Yeah, it's there's a lot you can do, and I know that my the players that I've had in various systems they know some of my NPCs by name even now years after we mm-hmm. played with them because that one session that lasted, you know, maybe it was just a single interaction with this NPC, but they still are like they remember him because right. of of the depth of that character. Depth, yeah, yeah, for sure, and plus. It, quite frankly, it helps you make more Warhammery villains, right? Exactly. Yep. So, like your your villain, it's not just a standard. Oh, this is a necromancer, or this is a bad guy, right? Warhammer has its own flavor, and having that knowledge, you know, you know, the noble isn't just a follower of chaos. This is why he's part of the pleasure cult and how Slanesh has influenced right. it. Now, and. Another thing to keep in mind, if you don't already have a vast knowledge of Warhammer lore, you don't need to try to try to take it all in. Right. Only only or get started with what you know that your players are going to be involved with. If they're walking into a situation where they are dealing with like a priest of more, for example. Right. Learn about that so that you can you can develop interesting interactions and interesting uh, scenarios. Right. But. And later in the show, we're going to give you examples too, by the way. If you're listening, I'm like, oh man, this sounds you know overwhelming. We're going to point out, here are some sources for you to go. For sure. and, and essentially, your research, and this is part of helping you research too, like if you do need to do some session prep, well, where can I go to get the most bang for my buck? Absolutely. We'll be talking a little bit about that too. Yep. Another thing too, this can help you keep up with your players. So sometimes GMs know less about the world. And we talked a little bit about this, especially with beloved IPs, right? And it doesn't necessarily mean you can't be the game master, but spending a little extra time on the lore can really help you deal with players that, I mean, we've all had them. Well, this isn't necessarily exactly. the way this if works you, in this universe. And the, Yeah, you could have a player that could be a mm-hmm. real, you know, stingy about this information. Yeah. If you get something wrong, it could it could just lead to a, a session that's not a good good time for everybody. Right. Right, I have to be careful. I don't fall into this when when I play as a player. Sure. So, okay. So another big thing that you can leverage lore as a GM is for adventure or campaign inspiration. This is one that's super exciting. So earlier we were talking about getting inspiration from like a painting or a picture, right? So that's all part of the lore too. When you look at inspirations for locations. Think about it like an adventure that takes you to the shores of Norska, right? If you understand the lore of Norska, you could build a whole campaign around, you know, the tribes that are up there and how your players, like, they could be a really interesting and fun campaign to play. And you can use that inspiration because you understand the lore of it. Right. Things like a campaign centered around Bretonia, right? Having a fun, cool campaign in Bretonia is going to be a heck of a lot easier or an easier to write as a GM or, you know, prep for as a GM if you understand the lore of Bretonia. I mean, that seems pretty straightforward, but something to think about. Yeah, and think about just the, uh, in the core rulebook, we've got this huge chapter that's all about the Reichland. Right. And and we're going to keep getting that more information about different locations. Right, and, and even we started our game in the Reichland for the Old World Podcast specifically because... That's where our fourth edition lore is coming from. We wanted to make something we were like already into and, and yeah. familiar with because we're just right on it. So let's start in the Reichland and right. see where we go. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we talk about locations as as an example of you know leveraging that lore. And it could be stories too, right? So you you read a book or something in a story connects and, and that lore inspires you. But another big one that I thought about 
is an inspiration for time, right? So the default setting for Warhammer fourth edition, um, you know, is, I mean, they rewind it a little bit back from the storm of chaos and there's a whole lot, we're not going to get into all that, Sure. but what we're going to get in, there's a specific time frame, right? What if you wanted to do something different? Because if you understand the lore, right? So one example we talk about is Mordheim. Mordheim is a great Imperial city that was destroyed by, you know, a comet of wordstone or a, I guess, what would you call that when it lands? It's not a comet at that point. It's a meteorite, yeah, right? Like yep, a, yep. So like a, it's destroyed by a meteorite of, you know, warpstone. What if you decide, okay, that's really cool lore. I'm going to set my adventure in Mordheim the day that happened. Yeah. Have it be something. Don't mention it. Have right. it be something that your players witness. Right. And, and now think of all the craziness that happened in that city and all everything that happened since. The destruction. Yeah. And and so much. You could have, an enti- again, an entire, I'm thinking right now, an entire campaign where you never leave very far from the city of Mordheim. Right. Just, just from that. Because you took that inspiration. How about the Vampire Wars? Like, this is another one that is real, right. So the, we talk. You look at the history, right? We're reading the little history, the timeline of the Reichland, and it talks about the Vampire Wars. Mm-hmm. Man, you could go do a bunch of research on that. Great, my players are. We're in this year. It's you know the time of this emperor, and yeah, you guys are all part of the state army heading into Sylvania. It's you're in the middle of the Vampire Wars. Yeah, again, entire campaign potentially, right? right? So cool. Um, I just I could spew these off for hours because oh, there's yeah. so many cool ideas. Um, like my my last one, which is I think one day I want to play like at least an adventure that takes place during the War of Vengeance, right? The elves versus the dwarves. Like, mm-hmm. Just like I mean, I've always envisioned it as we're all a, you know dwarf warriors, of <laughs> like course. a whole group. But you could do a whole group of elves or even some sort of weird like temporary alliance during that. Yeah. That would be cool. Or even a group of, of all humans and how they experience right. that. And right. How it At that point, them. they're like tribes, like trying to keep their heads down as right. the two major world powers are beating the crap out of each yeah. other. Yeah. That's, these are just, again, just understanding you could read a timeline and, and this is the thing about Warhammer. You could read a little timeline that says this was the time of the Skaven Wars. I guarantee, go Google Skaven Wars and go look up Wikipedia or all the places we're going to tell you later. You could find a ton of information and get great inspiration. Yep. I know I, I reference and I talk about Star Wars a lot. That's the system I have the most experience with. Sure. And one example I had that is that comes right from this, I was watching an episode of Star Wars Rebels, which right. was the great Disney show. XD animated series. Excellent show. And one of the episodes, they... <clears throat> were in a, in a small t- town or a small city during the Empire Day celebration, which oh, is essentially yeah. like a like a 4th of July type thing where they... For people in the U.S. I don't know if that for, means yeah, anything to the, the rest of the world. For, that's, for the, that's our Independence Day exactly. for, for everyone. So parades, yeah. you know, music, um, military demonstrations, stuff like that. And as soon as I watched that, literally as I was watching it, I was like, that would be such a cool setting. It would be for, for an adventure, right? That you're a group of rebels, it, you know, and how are you going to sabotage this? How are you going to, you know, make them look like fools or destroy some, some, uh, of their vehicles or whatever. And it just, that's just another example of how you just take inspiration. If you see something, if you're reading something or watching something that relates to your adventure, think about how you can, you could make a session out of it. 
Right. There's inspiration galore out Absolutely. there. All right. The next thing we want to talk about is leveraging lore as a player. So generally speaking, the players aren't going to might not know as much about the lore or the world as the GM. It's generally expected the GM's the one who knows a lot about this. But as a player, if you know a lot about the the world and the lore, there's a lot of things you can do with that that'll make your games better. So the first thing I want to talk about is making a richer background story. Yes. So you could make a human. You could say I'm from the Reichland. You could say I'm from Bretonia or Bogan, wherever you, you want to come from. But if you really know those locations and how they've been affected over time, you can make a much more interesting backstory for right. your for your characters, and it'll help you role play, right? Because you understand, exactly. like, oh, I I lived through the, you know, this war or that. Like, you now understand how better to role play your character. Exactly, and having a broad knowledge of other locations where your other the other players in the game, right? If you understand where they come from and their backstory more, that makes role playing and interactions a lot easier and a lot more interesting. Right. And we talked about Ben Scary's elf and halfling articles, right? right? That was a perfect example. Knowing the lore that's provided in those articles will help you role play those characters better or understand how to role play with people in your party better. Yeah. Or at least give you an idea of what the standard elf is like. And if you want to role play it differently, it's fine, but you can understand interactions that would come from, from playing against that even. Yep. That was another one of the things that I really liked about the core rulebook. Again, I'm out of the, all of the hosts of the show. I'm the one that has the least overall knowledge of Warhammer. I've only gotten into it in the last few years. That's that's true with time here, man. (laughs) One of the things I loved was that on each of the pages that talked about the different races, there was quotes in there about how that race feels about other, other species, other races. And I loved that because coming into it, green you're coming into it fresh i don't i don't know those things right i don't know how a you know uh, an elf would react to a, a halfling right and just those are just a couple little sentences but that's enough to kind of get you along and get you going absolutely i i think another thing that you can get to and we kind of alluded to this a little bit but by having an understanding of lore as a player it will help you have deeper immersion into the game and the role that you're playing so I, I wrote down this example is instead of the GM explaining to you why seeing an ogre performing a ballet is both immensely horrifying and immensely interesting, you can react with your character without missing a beat because you know the lore and how your character would respond to that. So you might not know that knowledge. And now I definitely want to have an ogre doing ballet oh, in sure. one of our our episodes, but you know, it, it's it just having the knowledge of the, the background of the lore will help you role play that better. It's something else I wrote down here too. If you haven't looked at like the psychology rules, the fear rules and some of the rules in fourth edition are pretty, can be pretty jarring. They take control of your character out away from the player in some cases, right. like uh, getting the broken condition, your character's running. Like, you don't get a choice on that. You hopefully can get them back under control. You know, these things can seem less jarring if you understand the lore and why those things. I mean, again, this system, this Warhammer world is not like several other systems. There are things that are just going to make you soil your drawers and hit the road. Right. If you don't just die anyway. Right. (laughs) 
that's always possible. Right. Another thing that can that you can do as a player, if you understand the lore, is assist the GM. Yeah. Which is a a a great way. A lot of times it can feel like the GM is the only person who's constructing the world and and, mm-hmm. and developing the story, but it really shouldn't be that way. Everybody right. should be committed to it. And if you as a player have a strong knowledge of the lore, you can assist your GM whenever questions come up or if they need any assistance, right. you can be there to help them with that. Or, or even just in the way you role play can help the GM tell the story better or whatever because you're reacting in a way that makes sense, essentially, you know, or your character is rather. Right. I wrote I wrote another example yes. in here. Uh, it's really cool. So, uh, and I, I pulled this right out of Rough Nights and Hard Days as yeah. one of those oh, yeah. games. Yeah. So like, so for example, knowing that a game of midden ball with a real life snotling would likely help you convince those Middenheim soldiers that you are a trustworthy person, you could have an entire player driven adventure. Just by doing that, and I guarantee if that happened with my players, I would be so happy. So we just kind of went over, and these are bullet points. Now, this is not like the end-all, be-all on how you might leverage lore as a player or a GM. There are lots of other examples out there, but these are the big ones that we thought about and then looked at. So let's talk about where you can find that lore, and can we can give you more examples on specifically how to leverage that. For sure. Obviously, we're talking about Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Well, there is a lot of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay lore in all of the editions of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Absolutely. So, first edition has a ton, right? It's some people tell you, well, the lore has changed slightly and stuff like that. It is it is possible that there are slight differences, but m- most of this stuff is going to be still gold right. for you. Okay. You know, obviously, you can get the core rule book, and now. There are several first edition books that are actually currently available. Cubicle 7 has put out PDFs for them. You can get them on Drive-Thru RPG. Yeah. There are a bunch more of the first edition stuff that is not currently available. Like you could probably find them somewhere, eBay or something like that. But as far as like being able to pick up like a PDF, you know, there are only a few. But the ones that are out there are really good. You have the core rule book. There are five books in the Enemy Within series, the original Enemy Within for first edition. And several of those books have a bunch of additional like lore in it. Right. Specific information. Shadows over Bogenhofen has a uh, detailed history and overview of the Empire. Mm-hmm. Death on the Reich talks about river life in the Empire. So even within those, there's a lot of additional information that can be helpful. Even uh, so like something rotten in Kislev has Kislev background. Like it's great information in there but there are a couple of like city books like middenheim and marienburg both are pdfs you can get right now that'll give you a ton of detailed information about those two cities and both great places to have adventures several other we're not going to go through like all there's a lot we're yeah. there's a lot of source material out there so we're going to hit some of the ones that we think are cool some of the ones we think um especially things that are like easily available right now yeah um but there are a bunch of other stuff that you can go out there and find for first edition they can give you additional lore too so depending on what you're looking for you yeah. know don't be afraid to use google yeah well and drive through rpg is a, a massive resource for that too so right and and often they will they've they've released bundles before humble bundle had a, a huge pack of mm-hmm. warhammer fantasy books uh pdfs that you could get right and a lot and those are i mean reasonable prices also if you're buying off ebay you might not know the condition right you might get something that's beat up or however so drive through rpg is definitely your best friend so moving on for first edition second edition there are 
dozens of books that are available for a uh, second edition. The core rule book, of course, there are what uh, probably seven or eight adventure books at least. And yeah. again, just like we talked about before, just about all of these are adventures that are taking place in a certain location. Right. So Ashes of Middenheim gives you information, a ton of information about Middenheim. Right. Spires of Altdorf gives you tons of information about Altdorf. Right. We actually had a listener, uh, you know, one of our one of the old worlders out there was reaching out to us talking about an adventure they were going to do in uh, Talibheim. That's right. I told him, go check out Terror in Talibheim. Uh, it's a city source book and an adventure book, but it has a ton of information on that city. So if you're going to run an adventure there, it's a great resource. And it's and by the way, all of the second edition PDFs are currently available on Drive Through RPG. Yep. with Cubicle Seven. Yep, and a bunch of them at the time of this recording are on sale. That may not be the case once this right. actually hits the, the hits your ears, but definitely check it out. They do run sales in there a lot. So adventure books, there's source books, career compendium. The Children of the Horned Rat has Skaven information. Right. So really, it can seem like a lot. If you look at this and see that there's you know dozens of different books, don't feel like you need to just go out and grab all of them. Obviously, that would cost a lot. But you know that if you're going to, you know, like you said, if you're going to run an adventure in Talbheim, take a look at that, that PDF and pick it up because having all that information about those different locations is going to make a world of difference. Right, right. And yeah, and that's it. And I think you, you basically just said this, but don't get overwhelmed. So my thing is, I hear something like this, I go, great, I'm going to have to go buy all of those. Right. And then, like, if you buy all of them, try to read through them, you're never, you're never going to do it. Right. Just try to be picky and choosy about what you, when you're prepping for that session. Again, it's, you're prepping for that session uh, and you're going to be a Nuln. Go read the Forges of Nuln section that you yep. think would help you. Exactly. So now we talked about first edition, we talked about second edition, third edition. Now, third edition is much harder. Right now, there's not any way to get all of third edition is out of production, and there isn't any like they're not on drive through RPG currently. Uh, so everything you're going to try to find for it is going to be a lot more difficult. There are great resources in third edition and great lore, and it's and they're beautiful too. When you actually, I, I own a few of the third edition things, it's great stuff. Um, books on magic, books on, there's a dwarf supplement, which is Blackfire Pass. You know, there are great things in there that can help you find those. And if you can get a good price on them and you're looking for that, you know, you could go snap that up. But I will tell you, it is currently a very expensive option with no PDFs that you can go get. For my dollar, for our dollar, I think we, yeah. can, we can agree that second edition is Se- going to be where the you can get so much information. Right. Or... Fourth edition too. There's True. everything that's released so far for fourth edition is great. Yeah. It is great lore, and it does a good job of tying to. Remember, we were just talking about how some of the first edition stuff had kind of the history has changed a little bit and stuff. Yeah, like you know Graham Davis and Andy Law and those guys all done a great job of tying together all these kind of loose threads into like something that makes sense going forward. So uh, you're going to do something on Reichland while you're going to run a fourth edition game. You already have the core book. You have a ton of information on Reichland, right? The upcoming adventure book for the companion book is going to have a ton of information on the empire. Yeah. Obviously those should be like go to first when you're, when you're doing stuff. And I, I won't be surprised that uh, we're, this is episode 16 when we're recording episode 116, Mm -hmm. there's going to be, just an endless amount of fourth edition books that are that are going to help with this too. Absolutely, absolutely. And and if you want something that's really contained, I mean, we've talked about this at length in our starter set review. But 
Ubersreich, I mean, everything you need to run games forever is in that yeah. starter set. That's like a no-brainer. If you, I need lore, I only want to get you know, enough to cover this one area, that's where you go. Another way you can get a lot of great information on Warhammer lore is through books. There are tons of novels. So many. Yep. And don't, just because it doesn't, it's not related specifically to Warhammer Fantasy roleplay, these books are chocked full of interesting situations and storylines and history. And again, if you're reading a book and you, you read a, a very interesting chapter that has this this event that's taking place or something, take that and run with it. Right. Right. That's, and that's, so I want to say very specifically, there's a ton of stuff. We're going to touch on a few different examples of great ways you could use this, but these are big novels. A lot of these, and a lot of these are now omnibuses yeah. and which include multiple books. We are not telling you go read a 300 page novel to prep for your session. That is not what we're trying to say at all. But Hey, if you enjoy reading and you're looking for a novel and you're running a fourth edition game, grab a Warhammer novel yeah. because you might find tons of inspiration and learn a bunch of lore at the same time. Again, this is your mileage may vary, but ultimately I would rarely say, say to someone, Hey, I'm going to run a game on, you know, that takes place in the war of vengeance. You know, what should I go get to prepare for it? Well, sure. I could send you to the omnibus on, you know, the war of vengeance and say, go read those three novels yeah, there'd be a ton of information in there, but that doesn't make sense to prep for your session or your sure. adventure. But if you're going to read that book anyway, might as well start reading it as you're working through your, yeah. you know, and and you can learn from that. So, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. I, I just don't want people to think we're saying, go read these thousands, giant novels. Thousands of pages. Yeah. I think it's more about the the what your overall goal is, right? If I'm If I'm running a one-shot, that's set in the vampire wars. I don't need to read the von Karsten series. Right. But if I'm running a multi-year campaign that's set in that, then maybe I should read that. Or, you know, that's I'd fair. Like it. it really, yeah. it, it's all, the, it depends on how much you want to get out of it. Right. And if, right. again, if you're just running a one or two session adventure, then it'd be, it'd be foolish really to go through and do that much research for just that. Absolutely. But if you're doing a huge campaign, then the more you know, the more you can interact with, and the more information you have for your players. Right. Well, and they just re-released uh, Warhammer Horror Drakenfels. Yeah. Right. So that's a book I picked up immediately, oh, yeah. and I'm reading through it now. And the re like it's it's sure it's lore, but one of the things is is I've never read that story, and I you know I always hear these bits and pieces and read little blurbs here and there about Drakenfels. But I want to know the whole story. And also, I'm looking to be a little more mean and evil and dark with my players. And I thought, this is how I'm going to do it. So let me read this and see if I come up with any ideas. Now, poor Matt's looking as, at as me. As like, one of your players, Lance, I'm, <laughs> I don't know if I should be terrified right now or excited. I'm excited, let's be honest. Right. So, it's again, I'm not specifically using it for preparation. But I know that I will be inspired by reading that and know more about the Warhammer lore. Absolutely. And dare I mention this on our pad on our podcast, but there's a lot of great end times book out there too. And Hey man, end times is a cool thing as well. And you could have an absolute full campaign adventure in that for circle seven has already said that there will, will be a source book on the end times. And I'm excited to see that. Yeah. But there's a lot of information out there too now. And if it's something you enjoy, if you enjoy reading that kind of stuff and all that, there's a, ton of novels and books out there for that as well absolutely so 
Let's move on to movies. Now, there is not any Warhammer movies that I'm aware of, and I looked. I, I, I haven't heard anything, nothing for fantasy. Now, having said that, I would argue that pretty much any dark movie or horror movie or fantasy movie, heck, even to some extent, like things like Lord of the Rings, for sure, will give you good inspiration. Now, they're not going to give you direct lore, right. so you want to be careful about that. Um, you don't want to confuse yourself because elves and Tolkien's universe are very different than right. Warhammer elves, but you might be able to get some inspiration in that. So just uh, just a thought process on that. Video games, however, there is a lot. There is a ton out there, and I don't know what you've played, Matt. I've played some of these. Um, so like the, you have things like the big one right now is Warhammer Total War, which is uh, there's one and two. Those are huge. Those have actually revitalized a lot of the community around Warhammer Fantasy. And as far as like what you can learn from lore in that, it's it's in there and so one of the things i find hilarious is before it would be so difficult when i was researching several years ago like maps of the old world or you know who controlled what area now there are tons of videos and in websites about it because of total war absolutely so that lore now exists because of the interest of people driving it too um in fact uh one of the big ones I, i watched just a few of his uh episodes on youtube recently is um, Lore Master of Sotek uh, is a YouTuber that does a bunch of lore videos too. And actually just kind of, uh, I'm maybe jumping ahead of myself here, but like YouTube channels and stuff like that have that information. And a lot of them are driven, like his channel, originally by Warhammer Total War. Right. And, and now you can go watch, like I watched a, a video on Sigmar. And so instead of reading you know, thousands of pages on Sigmar, I listened to a 30-minute yeah. YouTube channel video that gave me a breakdown of everything I needed to know about Sigbar. His videos are great. Yeah, it's it's great. My first experience with anything in Warhammer, this was years ago, was playing Dawn of War. And I know that's Warhammer 40k. Right. But just an example of uh, one example of a lot of great video games. That's one thing that Warhammer's done really well. They've got they've got some solid video games available out there. Right. And I think there was a fantasy pseudo version of that, which is called Mark of Chaos, I believe. That was a real-time tactics game. Mm-hmm. It was similar. Um, there's a lot of, like, Mordheim City of the Damned was one where you get to kind of do a Mordheim band, and that can give you, you know, just through playing some of these games. Some of these games aren't going to, like, throw a ton of lore right in your face, but you can experience it, right? So when I'm playing Vermintide, for example, I'm definitely getting the Skaven, dark, gritty, dangerous street vibe that Warhammer has. You know, heck, even they had an MMO called Warhammer Online. Like I played Age of Reckoning was was a big one. And uh they have some like special servers up now where you can play some of those older games, but those are all out there, man. And there was one that came out for the Xbox three sixty a long time ago called Battle March. That's one oh, that I've yeah. got uh, I think I've still got it. We should really that in. we should we should, in. Yeah. we should play that. But yeah. Well actually one I played Shadow of the Horned Rat. Uh, was an old, uh, gosh, I'm going to say, was that PlayStation? I think that was PlayStation 1 game. And it was it was like very fantasy battles. So you had units of troops that you moved around. But the storyline, everybody I talked to that likes that, like it's just about the storyline, what they got to play. So it's a cool game as well. Yeah, I'm just, I'm taking a look at that. It was the original PlayStation that that came out. Looks looks neat. Yeah, it is. It is. Graphics are painful nowadays, but... Oh, yeah. 
There's but, something about that though. Mm-hmm. I, I love buying, I'll buy old games on steam all the time and right. pull out my old Sega Genesis and N64. They don't, it doesn't bother me at right. all because I mean, there's such nostalgia there. Right. Yeah. A lot of video games and something that I think uh, relates a little bit more to what we do is are the board games and the tabletop games. So one of the things I remember the, when we first talked about starting the old world podcast, you, you and, and my wife, Janet worked together and you sent her home with the second edition core rule book and this massive fantasy <laughs> battles core rule book. And essentially you like put post notes, all of it. You were like, read pages 270 to 398 and this right. section and this section. And my goodness, that, that book, the, the rule book for the Warhammer fantasy battles had tons of information and imagery and, and great art, all that helped me kind of get into the world. Right. And that's a, And that's a huge thing too. So uh, with Warhammer fantasy battles, that game isn't officially supported anymore by games workshop, but you can pick up some of those old core rule books for dirt cheap and they have a ton of lore and think of it this way. It is a game system that is built around miniature gaming and more than half that book is usually just straight up rules. So they, they have a limited amount of space to get you to love fall in love with and pick an army that you will then buy, right? And so they build, they give you condensed versions of lore. It's a great way to introduce new players uh, to people that are new to Warhammer 2 because it's a great overview information. Usually like here's a one page breakdown on Skaven. Here's a one page breakdown on the Tomb Kings and gives you a general idea. So yeah, and of course army books. So like if there's a specific race, like one thing I'll tell player, I'm going to play a dwarf and Warhammer and I, I don't really understand Warhammer rules or lore all that much. Like, what can I do? I will give them one of my old dwarf army books, which you can pick up like for three or four bucks usually on yeah. eBay. That, and that's say, what you did for me, man. And it, it helped a lot. Yeah. And and there's like, oh, there's only 10 pages of like real lore in there, but it's everything you need to know to have a general idea of what dwarves are in the Warhammer world. Yeah. So, and, and. That's the main battle game. There's a bunch more, too. Yeah, there's Dreadfleet, which oh. was a ship battle game. Actually, I picked up a copy of that. I think I traded it or I gave it to my brother or sold it to him. So I still have access to it. Yeah, I'm still it angry. Out. Angry for you at that. I'm going to talk was, to your brother and see heck if I can bribe thing. him. That game was, was neat. I just I don't, I don't couldn't find anybody to play with me. I mean, it. I read through all the rules, and it was like a, I don't know, 60 or 80 page rule book. Yeah, it's not a it's not a light game. Yeah. But it was it was awesome and the models that were in that were just phenomenal too. Right. I know it came with uh instead of just playing on a table, it came with this huge like sheet essentially. Right. It wasn't like a play mat. It was just just cloth that was just just the ocean. That's all yeah. it was. It was just water. And you'd throw it out on the table, you could set up little uh like yeah. rock outcroppings and things all over the place. Right. And that's, that's out of production now too. And that's a heck of a lot harder to find. Uh, that was one of those, like those are in high demand, even finding an old rule book for that. But if yeah. you had access to something like that and there's lore in there too, but, and now it's all like based around the, like the ocean and the, the ships and stuff. But Hey, if you're going to have like an adventure taking place on the high seas of Warhammer, that would be a great place to go touch up on some lore. There's a lot of other board games too. Yeah, Warmaster, Mana War. Yep, Invasion, Warhammer Quest, even Hero Quest. Yeah, yup. You know, really any any game that has that kind of has that same kind of setting or same mm-hmm. kind of feel would work out really well. Right. Warhammer Quest is huge. That's a game that uh, is still being supported, I believe. It's you can't buy you can't buy it new anymore. I don't think Warhammer Quest. Is, Which one am I thinking of? I know that 
Shadespire. There's, there's or, an age. There's an Age of Sigmar version of like Warhammer Quest that is the currently supported one. So right, the Warhammer. Okay. Fa- there's a Warhammer Fantasy Warhammer Quest, which I want to say is in either 2005 or 95. I don't remember exactly, but there. I mean, if there's lore and stuff in those games too, though yeah. a lot of this stuff that we're talking about now are very like niche and are in high demand and very expensive. So yeah, so like unless well, you manage to get a hold of something like this, it, it might not be an ideal place to go get lore. But lore exists in all these yeah. products. Yeah, Warhammer Quest came out in 1995, 95. but there was the Warhammer Quest, the adventure card game that came out in 2015. Oh, okay, so, so that, that's what. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. So that's yeah. I was I didn't realize. There was a card game for yeah. that too. Dang, a lot of stuff. Check that out, yeah. yeah, a lot of information for sure. Whew, that's a lot, man. There's a lot. There's a, lot, a lot of the the overall point we have in this is that there's a lot of lore out there. You can find it in a lot of different places. Right. And so my, I, I want to go back and just kind of wrap up my final thoughts on this. Is if you're a GM and you're prepping for a session and you want to get a little extra and in, in understand the importance of lore and you're not sure, don't be afraid. I mean. You can ask too. There are people that know this stuff inside and out. So go to the fourth edition Facebook group and say, I'm going to run a campaign in Sylvania. What books should I be looking for to help me with lore? We're going to immediately jump in, a bunch of us, yeah. and tell you, go check this out, go check that out, go pick up, you know, uh, the PDF. You, you know, of, of this second edition PDF, it'll give you a ton of background for sure. You know, things like that. And, and because then you'll have a very specific and targeted thing or heck even picking up the vampire counts, you know, Warhammer fantasy battles for like five bucks on eBay. will give you a good amount of lore. Right. So, well, and sometimes it's obvious, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're going to run an adventure in Altdorf, the right. Spires of Altdorf, like you know, you're going to get information in there, but right. that's not to say there might not be another section about Altdorf in a different book, right? That might not be as obvious, right? Right. So don't be afraid to ask others that For might sure. know this, and then they can point you to the two or three sources that'll help you out most. Yep. Um, and if you're just getting stuff like, and I especially think this for the novels too, if you just love the Warhammer lore and you're like, I don't want to read through like a a history of the Reichland and, and the current geopolitical. Like I find that stuff interesting, but I can understand if you don't right. want to read through that, you know, then grab a novel. Like, hey, I know that I'm going to play a game in the Empire and I want to do something that's all about like the deep, dark, seedy side and and the persecution and everything. Well, I'm going to point you towards go get the Witch Hunter omnibus. And yeah. you can, you're going to, by the time you're done reading that, you will have a, a lot better understanding of the lore of the Empire, at least from the point of view that that takes place. Right. And, and a great, a great amount of inspiration. And again, if you're, hey, if you're going to be a player and you're looking for more, like, you know, I'm playing a Witch Hunter. Well, that seems pretty obvious, right? But there are other things too. I'm playing a Road Warden. Well, hey, this new companion that's coming out has a whole section on rules of the road, including war uh, road wardens right so when that fourth edition book comes out i'm going to direct my player to say great you want to learn more about road wardens read this yeah and remember too you're gonna you're gonna get out of this what you put in if you want to run a huge long campaign you're gonna want to get as much information as you can if you're gonna run a one shot you could maybe go on wikipedia yeah the warhammer wiki and just just grab a paragraph or or a page right a couple paragraphs that could give you enough information to help take that to the next level 
Absolutely. And that's a really good point. We're talking about all these things, a lot of them that you would have to spend money to get. Right. Mo- There's a lot of information for free just on Google Wiki. People love to talk about Warhammer Start Wiki pages. There's several different good options Absolutely. out there. And I, I can't think of the exact ones off the top of my head, but we'll include some in the show notes when we post it. To me, a lot of it, having you get a lot more full information and having a like a book in my hand is way more meaningful to me. Yeah, I, so, I, I'm with you. I'd rather yeah. have something physical I can hold on to. But but I, I've done my research online and stuff too. Yeah. So. Well, and, and one other just quick tip. If you come across something that's really helpful for the session that you're running, as long as it's not going to reveal spoilers for your story, print that out. Hand it to your players. If it's a page of text... There's nothing saying that they couldn't read that either before the session or, or as you're sitting at the table, right? I have a handout right there that, that goes over some of that stuff so that they, they do get that extra little bit and so that they're informed about what's happening as well. Like the fourth edition starter set has that, uh, I forget what it's exactly called. It's like what you know in the empire yeah. or something, right? It's a handout for players to read what they know. That is literally perfect for somebody who's never right. played Warhammer. Right. Before. It gives them a, at least a little bit of a primer and, and to go off and then, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Love Pl- it. Plenty of information out there. Well, we have a new show segment. I guess we're we're ready to move on, right? I believe so. As uh, as we've talked about, we had this whole episode for listener questions that we did, and there were some technical difficulties. And if you didn't see my screaming to the heavens face that I posted on on Facebook, um, things did not go well. So we had to scrap it. And so instead, what we've decided to do is we're now having a listener question segment for most of our shows. This is going to be a regular segment. I'd like to say, too, that we we know the mistake that we made in our last episode that we had to, that we weren't able to work on or weren't able to post, and we will uh, rectify that issue. So fingers crossed that won't happen again. Yeah, we shouldn't. At least not. I mean, you can never be 100% sure. That, right. I mean... There's always a chance that I'll forget to push record. And yeah, looking at fi- my thing file right gets corrupt or something. But <laughs> right, so but we definitely we uh, definitely don't want that to happen again. Right. So before we get started here, uh, let's first. How can someone get us those questions? First, you can hit us up on social media. So hit us up on Twitter at Old World Podcast, our Facebook page, uh, which is Facebook.com/slash Old World Podcast. Or feel free to email them directly to us at questions at oldworldpodcast.com. I mean, we obviously, we have a lot that come in, so we have to, you know, be picky and choosy or whatever. Right. But well, we'll, sometimes yeah. questions are as simple as a yes or no or a, right. know, a one-word answer. But we're going to pick some that have some meaningful discussion that we can do. Right. So, again, if you have questions, send them to us, and, we, and you might hear, them, hear us talk about them on here. Right, and we do also try to give answers to when, like, whenever we get a right. tweet or somebody somebody asks us about it. I mean, sometimes it's difficult with everything else we got going on, but we try to jump in there and give you an answer as well. Yeah. So our first question is from Michael Dotty on Twitter. He says, "All right, y'all, I've run into my first confusing part of Fourth Edition. I know there's a chart for it, but it doesn't help much. How do I calculate slash select starting spells and prayers for Magic players?" So we tried to answer this on Twitter, but we actually felt this was a good, uh, a great question. And it, it can be confusing because I can tell you, until we got the updated errata for... There was some... there. Yeah. I had some questions, too, about this, especially about petty magic. Because, anyway, it was it, the, the way it was worded, I, had a, I struggled with to have a clear understanding. First off, starting spells and prayers 
are both handled in the appropriate talents when you obtain those talents. So the talents you're likely to be dealing with are going to be Petty Magic, Arcane Magic, Bless, and Invoke. So for Magic, you may have spells in a Grimoire that you can cast if you have the appropriate talent, as long as you can read that spell, and you can do this without memorizing it, which requires XP. Right. So the the whole concept here is that you can spend XP to like memorize a spell so you don't need it in your book. Right. Otherwise, you got to carry around a book and obtain those spells, which is all based on what your jam is going to allow you to get. Right. So like with Arcane Magic, for example, that lets you learn a number of spells equal to your uh, intelligence bonus for 100 XP each. Right. Right. Up to up to a certain number. Right. And then. Petty Magic gives you several for free at the beginning. When you first get the talent, you get the number of petty spells equal to your willpower bonus for free when you get the talent. And then after that, the cost is based on how many petty spells you already know. So generally, that's going to be 100 XP when you're starting that, unless your willpower bonus increased since you got the talent. Petty Magic is really fun. There's a lot of interesting things. So our Janet, who plays Lynn Morell in our actual play, she took the petty talent or Petty Spells talent, and it's came up a ton of times. Oh, yeah, that like sleep the spell right, that she loves. The sleep spell, yeah. or the uh, where she created the the lights that like floated around when we were in that cave. Yeah, the, There's a lot of interesting things you can do with that, so definitely not one that you'd want to overlook. Um, you also mentioned blessings. So blessings are simple. You get six blessings for their cult. Right, so when you get that talent, there's like six blessings each cult has six blessings. Yes. You just get all of them. Yeah. So it's, it's very simple. Miracles, by contrast, have a cost scheme similar to talents. So the first one costs 100 XP, and then after that, it's 100 more for each one you already know. So the second one costs 200, the third one costs 300, etc. So and miracles are almost like a spell version of, of blessings. Of, right. They're actually really cool. Yeah, and you know, let your players pick what they want, keeping in mind that there are restrictions based on the lore and the the color restrictions, whichever color of magic they they're using. There are also arcane spells that all colors have access to. Right. This and this is really cool. It's kind of like the penny magic where there's a bunch of general kind of arcane right. spells. So anyway, I guess one other thing I would say is don't don't forget to work with your GM as a player or if you're a GM, work with your player to have it make sense for your storyline. If your GM says, great, you're going to spend 100 XP and just learn this spell, how did you learn that? Like sometimes they might, your GM might want to have you essentially find a tome or, you know, find, you know, something. Or or meet an ancient, a wizard that could could teach a spell. Well, what happens when I move to the next tier and I no longer have access to the arcane magic talent? Well, like for example, with that, with the wizard... When you're the arcane magic talent has a maximum of one, you only ever buy that talent one time, right? And then the talent specifically says you can then spend experience to get more spells. So the talent gives you the ability to spend experience to get spells. So it's not like you're going to buy the talent again. So that's just a, an obvious example. And, and all those spell or all those talents work in a similar way. You just have to keep that in mind when you're when you're buying additional spells. It's just a straight experience yeah. cost. And also not to move from one career level to the next without getting that talent. Right. Right. You've got access to it. You should get it. Or, or that's you'll gonna be... open up the you know, the floodgates for different possibilities. And thinking about 
all the spells we have now, which is oh, tons man. of them. But we know there's going to be more. Oh, we know. Yeah. There's there's going to be a bunch more. So, and you know, you might have to spend your in between sessions to get that talent if you miss it. So, I'm right. just saying. But all right, our next question is from Wolf Shield Games on Twitter. Wolf Shield Games is also one of our uh, backers on Patreon. Thank you again, Wolf Shield Games. Their question is. You can only learn a talent if you're on the same career level. Once learned, if you move up or down from that level, can you still improve it, or do you need to spend XP to return to that level? Which this, this is ties a great in directly question. what we were just talking about. And yeah. th- this is actually one of the things that when I was reading through it, I I didn't I couldn't wrap my head around it why this would be the way it is. Yeah, and we actually to make sure we had this concept right, we actually went back to the core rule book and had to like really read all the sections that came in. So if you look at page 132 in your core rule book under the section gaining talents, you can see that it says you can use experience points to purchase new talents or take existing ones multiple times if allowed from the advanced scheme of your career. See page 48. So it specifically talks about from the advanced scheme of your career. So when you look at that, it references you back to page 48. So if you go back to 48, it says, talents are only available when you are in the level of the career that lists them. So if you are an apothecary general, you can only buy talents listed under apothecary general, not those listed under apprentice apothecary, apothecary, or master apothecary. It makes it extremely clear that you can only purchase talents that are in the tier or in the level that you are currently in. Yep. And you, you cannot advance talents that are not on your level, even if you've purchased it before. Right. So, so, so you, I know you have some thoughts on I this. do. I do. I, there are situations where this makes sense, but there are situations where this makes zero sense. Prime example, the last career episode we did, I was playing as an outlaw. And you can become a criminal in, I believe, tier two as an outlaw. Sounds right. So that means that if you want to get up to that, the like the highest level of being a criminal, you can only do it when you are in that that tier. Although you're you're going from an outlaw to the uh, what is it, bandit king. During that time, in play, you you could certainly become more of a criminal. So it just it doesn't it it doesn't thematically it does not make sense that you wouldn't be able to advance that once you move out of that career level right and it's actually it is tier one but that's tier one. it even tier makes one, the point right exactly I mean, right so you can only be a criminal when you're low level like you can only get that talent where that affects it and i i definitely see i mean i could see it other way but i think this is a good point where we can mention the golden rule right right so and if, this, if a rule I, negatively impacts fun for your group change it or ignore it that's page 149 yeah and you even specifically noted the criminal talent is one that that yeah that you could you could ignore the restrictions right. on it. So if you moved up and didn't buy that talent or wanted to buy it again because that, I mean, as a GM, I wouldn't necessarily have problems with that. I mean, there are ways around it, right? You can use the in between session rules to pick up a talent that's outside right. of your you know you have options within the rules to do that. So I'm not saying that it's impossible, and I'm not saying that it would be right or wrong for you to ignore this rule. Obviously, when the designers designed it, they designed it with certain things in mind. There could be balance issues. Right. And there, there's, you know, that may leave open loopholes that they, right. they didn't want to 
give players the opportunity to have. And right. again, that's that's why the in between sessions thing is there, right? So that you can advance in those. But right. it just seems to me like once you have taken that talent, it it shouldn't matter what level you're in, or if you're even in the same career, you should be able to advance. Right. And it's, I think as a GM, I would entertain a player if they could, if they can make an argument that made sense, I might entertain it. Um, you know, depending on the situation. Right. So, so to, to summarize that, no, you cannot advance a talent if you are not on that level. Right. Unless you use the golden rule. Right. And I know a lot of people are going to say that is not, I don't accept that. You know, the golden rule is there is like a catch all. They they want it to be in the rules. There's going to be people that are sticklers like that. But right. Well, I tell you, there, if there's if there's one thing that the fourth edition core rule book tells you, it's that play the way you have fun playing. Yeah. So that's that's the way yeah. I go about it for sure. Absolutely. So our third question is from Nick on Twitter. And he says, uh, given the popularity of the first two editions of Wolfrup and the fact that you guys are familiar with all at this point, though still digging into fourth edition, do you believe fourth edition is a worthy successor mechanically and spiritually to the previous editions? You want to take this first? I love that he thinks that I'm familiar with all of the editions. Thank you, Nick. Uh, <laughs> I am slightly familiar with some of them. You know, Se- second edition, I've got a, a, a handle on and I, I, miraculously came across the first edition core book. So I have that too. I will, I will admit I know nothing about third edition. Yeah. I've done a lot of reading in third, but I've never played it. So to answer your question, having played a lot of second edition, knowing a lot of that. And again, this is, has been said many times, but fourth edition is essentially a, is the successor to second edition. A lot of that carries over. I think that the fourth edition core rule book and everything that I've seen coming out from so far is one of the best role-playing game books and systems I've ever played. And I absolutely think it's a worthy successor that if you're a fan of Warhammer, even if you're just a fan of role-playing games, I in the last year or so have started collecting role-playing game books. I do that classic thing where I buy a ton of books and then I'll, I'll never play them. (laughs) Right. Right. Like, Oh, this book looks awesome. I'm going to buy it. I'll play it sometime. Probably not, but Hey, it's there. I've got it just in case. And out of all of the books I have, I feel like Warhammer 4th Edition is one of the most concise and complete books that I've ever used. Yeah, I. your question very specifically, is 4th Edition a worthy successor to the first two editions, 1st and 2nd Edition? And my question is, without a doubt, absolutely, positively, it is absolutely a worthy successor. Yep. I... I mean, no system is perfect. I have not found the perfect system where forget everything else. I don't need any new rules ever developed for me. This is it. Um, I have some tiny concerns about fourth edition, but I have concerns about all the editions of every game I've ever played um, for tabletop or even red. There are things that, and quite frankly, some of the things that I might find an issue with, somebody else will, will find an issue with. But I can tell you a couple of things. We talk to a lot of people at Gen Con. We've talked to a lot of people via our Twitter. We talked to a lot of people on Facebook and and through all the different communications. And this question, believe it or not, comes up a lot, or at least opinions on it. And it is very, very few people, few people that take a look at fourth edition and say, Nope, I'm going back to first or second. And some people do, but a lot of those people that do say, well, I'm going to grab this part from fourth because it's really cool. So 
even the I I don't think anyone. I think the person that said I, I I've heard of one person. I think Graham was telling us he talked to one person that said, you know what? I don't care for anything in fourth edition except the in between session stuff. We're taking that. Yeah. To me, maybe for them it's not a worthy successor, but they got something out of it. And but for me, very clearly, it is a worthy successor. I I, I would I unless it's for a special reason, I don't think I will probably ever purposely choose to play first, second, or third edition over fourth. Right. And fourth you, you got to think about different situations, right? If somebody's played second edition for the last 15 years, right? then the, then it, it would be a lot harder of a jump, or or maybe there's the nostalgia that's keeping them there right. in, in a certain edition. But I would say without a doubt, Lance, you and I, anytime either of us gets a new role-playing game rule book, we're without even like necessarily digging into the rules, we're flipping through it. Mm-hmm. We're critiquing everything. Right. And we have books that don't have enough artwork. We have books that have really bad graphic design. We have books that made really interesting decisions on, on uh, font and text color and things and layout and layout. Yeah. And I have no complaints about the Warhammer fourth rule book. I really don't. And no. I, you might think that I'm pandering to cubicle seven. I'm not. I just love that book. And I use it as an example to my friends when I'm talking about rule books that this, this is the one to look at to get a great idea of what a, what a role-playing rule book should be. Right. Right. Absolutely. So anyway, uh, those were our three questions. So we expect to have more questions in the, in the future. Well, this should be a regular or semi-regular show segment, depending on situations. Uh, don't hesitate to send your questions to us. Again, uh, you can email them up to us at uh, questions at oldworldpodcast.com or send us a message on Twitter or Facebook. Absolutely. Thanks to everyone who sent us in your questions and all of your support. We look forward to the questions that are going to be coming in for next episode. Woo. Well, that was a long one. Right? So, guys. I feel like we could have done a whole episode that was just catching up on news. We probably could. It was, man, and we, like, I feel like we didn't do some of the news service that it needed, but it is what it is. Yeah. Next time, <laughs> in the very near future, we're going to have our review of Rough Nights and Hard Days. Yes. That's going to be excellent. I cannot wait for that. Yeah. Yep. We're trying to get some special setups for that. So, uh,. There are, obviously, we have some more career episodes already on the docket that are ready to go and that we're getting ready to record here. So, anyway, that's what we're looking at for next episode. Thank you guys for joining us for this this episode, uh, Leveraging the Lore. I, I hope that you guys found this episode helpful, and I hope that you're able to use the ideas to create your own inspiration, your own ideas to leverage the lore in your own way in your Warhammer games. So, intrepid listeners, keep in touch. Let us know your questions, feedback, and even show topic suggestions. You can contact us multiple ways by checking out our website, www.oldworldpodcast.com, Twitter at Old World Podcast, Facebook at facebook.com slash oldworldpodcast. Also, I will be at Grand Con in Grand Rapids, Michigan from August 30th to September 1st. If you're in the Midwest and want to come to Grand Con, it is a great time, and I would love to meet you there. Yes, absolutely. There's a decent chance I'll be there at least for part of the day too. So while you're checking us out on the social interwebs, be sure to hop on over to our Patreon page and support us. If you like what we're doing and want to help out, become a patron. For only a couple dollars a month, you can help support the show and get some cool rewards too. Check us out at patreon.com 
forward slash old world podcast. Also, let us know what you think. Visit iTunes or your preferred podcast service and rate us. Every review helps us reach more Warhammer fans. All right. Well, this is Lance saying good night. And may you be able to leverage the lore to convince your GM to not force you to use that fate point. This is Matt. If you're having a rough night or a hard day, maybe consider grabbing a Warhammer novel. It'll help you get through it. This podcast and related website are completely unofficial and are not endorsed by Games Workshop Limited or Cubicle 7 Entertainment. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. GW Games Workshop, Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and all associated logos, illustrations, images, names, creatures, races, vehicles, locations, weapons, characters, and the distinctive likenesses thereof are registered trademarks of Games Workshop Limited, Cubicle 7 Entertainment, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio or video information, is the intellectual property of the Old World Podcast and Crimson Tower Studios, LLC.